Would you join me and stand as we sing, uh, as we read from the text this morning? <laughs> we'll be reading from the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 to 28. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisee said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in, and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath, the Word of God. Please be seated. Today, we're going to talk about the Sabbath. One of my most favorite, it probably is my favorite Adventist distinctive, though it is not ours, it is one of my favorites, the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is good news. These are some people who've been through some trying times, because I said the Sabbath was good news, and everybody's like, well, pastor, you didn't grow up in my house. Let me try it again, because the Sabbath is good news. Yes, the Sabbath is good news. When we are faithful to live out the biblical Sabbath, it has wellness in store for us and for our neighbor. Living in and living through the Sabbath should bring joy into our lives as well as into the lives of others that are around us. 1868, the Adventist church was still in its infancy, just, just eight years old as an organization. They had been struggling through things as a, as a society. There was uh, a civil war, and there were other things happening around them. And um, just a few couple decades before that, there was a great disappointment where Jesus didn't show up, and now they've got to put the pieces together. They're still struggling through what they would look like in their identity, but one of the things they had decided by that time was that they would follow the Sabbath. And so the founder, one of the three founders, our, our foremother, writes this, Ellen G. White, all who love God should do what they can to make the Sabbath a delight. They can do much to exalt the Sabbath in their families and make it the most interesting day of the week. Now, just a page later, she continues to write, and she says this, the Sabbath should be made interesting to our families that its weekly return will be hailed with joy. Can someone say amen to that? Now, I wish my parents read more LNG White. <laughs> Can I get an amen for that? Oh, 
to imagine the Sabbath as this, as this joy, this, this, this great, interesting space and time where we, we do something that is beautiful and that we look forward to every week. Growing up as an Adventist, it didn't always feel that way. Church, say amen if you hear me. The Sabbath felt very clear-cut, very firm, very inflexible. There was uh, an air of, of legalism almost that was about the culture. Some of the most popular conversations about Sabbath was always the, on Sabbath, can I and what can't I do, right? Well, what, what can I do, Dad? What, 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 what am I not allowed to do? You can wade in the water up to your calf, but you can't swim. First of all, it's not called wading if it's just to the calf. You can walk, but not run. This is the era I grew up in. You can walk, but not run. Do you know how hard it is to play tag when not running? And if you, if you were anything like our household, if, if we were caught running, the loser of tag playing on Sabbath was not the one who was it. The loser was the one that the grandmother caught. Because if my grandma caught you, you got a whooping. Not just you, but any of your friends that came over to the house. That's why none of my friends ever came over to the house. They're like, is your grandma home? Okay, we're not coming over. So you had to play tag, right? But, but you couldn't run, so you were walking the whole time. And you couldn't smile. Because they would know you were playing something, so you just look serious. The whole bottom half is working, but the top is just, you know, Sabbath. Hard. You can enjoy the outdoors, but you can't use any kind of ball or spheric type object. You can listen to worship music, but there better be no drums behind it. You can eat, but you can't eat it if it was bought or if it was cooked on the Sabbath day. Some of you don't know about that. That's a serious Adventist household. We cooked our meals on Friday noon, and then we just ate it cold on the Sabbath. So potlucks were the best Sabbaths. People were like, man, do you not eat at home? Well, we do, but it's cold. You cannot watch TV on the Sabbath unless it was the Ten Commandments. That old school Ten Commandments. You know which one I'm talking about. And if you, if some of my more progressive, my liberal families, my friends, their families let them watch the Nature Channel. You had to keep it from sundown on Friday till sundown on Sabbath. That's the time. And if you didn't know what time was sundown, your church would normally just conveniently put it in the bulletin so that your parents knows exactly when that TV can come on. And man, those Sabbath afternoons would just go on for an eternity. It was like the, the minutes and the hours on Sabbath were prophetic time. Wasn't normal. You'd take a nap, and on the summer days, you'd wake up, and it was still Sabbath. And you're like, I'm, I, I took two naps. I can't sleep anymore. When Sabbath? When, oh, when will you end? I feel sorry for those uh, Canadians. I heard from the Canadians last week, because in the summertime, apparently, the sun doesn't go down till 11 p.m. No, Sabbath is over. I'm sorry. I don't care what time that sun's going down. While it was meant for goodness in our lives, it often felt restrictive and burdensome 
and Sabbath was no longer a place of joy and creativity, but a space and time where I would come and I would serve the Sabbath. Now, where did we kind of, where did this come from? Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about Adventist history because this is a distinctive, and for those of you joining along who know not much about Adventist history, welcome. We're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about that today. Um, in the early 1840s, a lady by the name of Rachel Oaks. Look how happy she is about the Sabbath. <laughs> now that's someone I want to follow there. Seventh-day Baptist. Um, she and her daughter moves, and they uh, move to a new place, so they find a new congregation. They're no longer part of the Seventh-day Baptist congregation. They join a, a Methodist congregation, and that Methodist congregation had an Adventist Methodist pastor, um, and his name was Frederick Wheeler. Frederick Wheeler was kind of running the, the gap. Look at these happy people. Yes. But you know, that beard game is serious. That's a good, good beard. And he's going about the circuit, and she confronts him about the Sabbath. And she says, I challenge you to find this. And so he studies it, and he finds that the Sabbath is truly biblical. So he says, okay, um, I'm going to start going to church. On, 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 we're going to start worshiping on Sabbath. He convinces his congregation. The whole congregation then begins to do this. And, and as they do, the summer of 1844, remember in the fall, they're waiting for Jesus to arrive. Jesus is coming in October 1844. This is the summer. A gentleman pulls into their congregation by the name of T.M. Premble. T.M. Premble is a free will Baptist. So he comes into the space, and um, he eventually becomes a Millerite and a believer in the Sabbath because of this New Hampshire congregation. But time was short, Right? Jesus is coming, like he's right around the corner, so we don't need to spread this word out. Let's just hang out together and enjoy these Shabbats. Well, 1844 comes, October, and Jesus does not come. And now they're left wondering what to do next. Well, since we're going to be here for a little bit, Premble decides he's going to start writing. And he writes, and one of, these pieces of these, one of these pieces of writing gets to the ears of a gentleman by the name of Joseph Bates, him and J.N. Andrews. These names may sound a little bit more familiar. Joseph Bates is, is the, um, one of the triune heads of the uh, frontier leaders of our church, one of the founders. And he gets into this. He, he's a former sea captain. And he's been all in Daniel and all in Revelation. Remember, the great disappointment just happened not too, too, uh, too far from here. So he's on the heels of this. He's trying to make sense of why Jesus didn't come back. And so as he's trying to make sense of all this, he, he thinks to himself, well, I'm seeing Revelation and, and I'm seeing Daniel. And maybe Jesus is moving from one part of the sanctuary to another. I'm not going to go too far in the sanctuary because Pastor Raywin's going to hit that next week. But, but he thinks about the sanctuary idea. And if there's an earthly sanctuary that has the Ten Commandments, then, then then there's got to be a Ten Commandments up in, in the sanctuary in heaven. And, and if there is, he, he just found out about this brand new idea about the Sabbath. So he's like, whoa. So if the Sabbath idea is in that sanctuary, then we've got to keep the Sabbath. And he's thinking prophetically in Daniel and Revelations 11 and 14. And he says, okay, so then this must mean that those who really love God, the patience of the saints, are those who are faithful to Jesus and keep what? 
Ooh, some good evidence over here. Keep his commandments. So Joseph Bates, raptured by the prophetic eschatological nuance of the day, is spending his time convincing others that the Sabbath really has to do with end times. And if we want to be sure of our election, we must hold the, the Sabbath strong. Ellen G. White, James White, Jane Andrews, they all catch up in this, and they're, 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 they're hearing it. So the, the, the passages that we saw earlier with Ellen G. White talking about it is her trying to grapple with this idea that, yes, uh, Sabbath is a beautiful thing, and also it's a scary thing. So we see the resonance of this as we move through the generations. We may not understand why, but you can't run. Don't run. I don't want you to break the Sabbath. Your parents and my parents weren't being cruel to us. They were scared for us. They wanted us to, 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 to be a part of the elect. So they wanted to make sure you and I weren't breaking the Sabbath. They weren't doing it maliciously or nefariously. They were doing it out of love and fear. George Knight. He writes this in a brief history of Seventh-day Adventism. Bates' third contribution to Sabbath theology in a framework of prophecy was to develop the end-time concepts of the seal of God and the mark of the beast in the context of allegiance either to God or to the beast. Fullness to the biblical Sabbath, he held, would be the outward focal point in the struggle. So he makes this pinnacle for the first believers. And this is Bates. He's excited. He just learned about the Sabbath, but he's been doing prophetic stuff. And he's like, these two should get married. He says, hey, check this out. And everyone's kind of coming along. Okay, this is, yeah, okay, I'm feeling this. And they, so they get into this idea that, that we need to be faithful to the biblical Sabbath without clearly defining theologically what faithful to the biblical Sabbath should look like. And so instead of us having a strong, beautiful biblical theology about this, we tend to have a more scary idea of the Sabbath. Isn't that true? So, let's return back to Mark's story of Jesus today. And I think we'll be seeing that the faithful to the biblical Sabbath means less like being a servant and master relationship to the Sabbath and more like living in and through the Sabbath. Here's the story. Verse 18. One Sabbath. He was going through the cornfields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. This is an agricultural society. So when we read this, think of this uh, as if that was our economy. That's how we moved about. That's, that was fair trade. That's, that's what we bargained. That's what we moved. This was economics. So the agricultural society is, is the where here, and that matters. This is not just about the issue of the law, but it's also the issue of economics. This is a place of production, of commodity, and consumption. As they're walking through this, we often think of this beautiful, you know, grain field where they're plucking grain, but this is really a space where economics takes place. It is a place of production, 
Lots of producing, lots of working. Biblical studies and political theologian Chet Mayers makes note that there was a resentment among Galilean peasants about the control exercised by the Pharisaic establishment over the sowing, the harvesting, and the marketing produce. For their point of view, the Pharisees' adjudication of Sabbath rules had become a way of relegating the economy to Pharisaic benefit. So the people who work these lands are peasants. And if they couldn't hold on to their land because it didn't produce, they would borrow. And if they had to borrow, they would get into debt because the debt wagers would make it so that they could never buy it back. If not for the year of Jubilee, they would continue to work generationally until they were able to pay off such debt. This was economics. The economy uh, is a very familiar story to those who are listening here to Jesus' story, to, to, to Mark's story, because the economy is a very familiar tune that they've heard from generations before them. The socioeconomic growth of another people was based off the work of the Hebrew families. The economy of Egypt was built on the backs of the Israelites. They needed to move and drive the comfort of the elite class of these Egyptians, which made Ra and the other gods content and happy. So there was no Sabbath rest for the Israelites. They had to produce and work. They, had, they, they, were, but to, they were but a commodity of production for the Egyptians. Walter Brueggemann points out that there had, no, there had been no Sabbath in Egypt. No work stoppage. No work stoppage for Pharaoh, who worked day in and day night to stay at the top of the pyramid. There were no uh, work stoppages for the slaves because they had to gather straws during their time off. No work stoppage for anybody in the Egyptian system because frantic productivity drove the entire system. These places are places of frantic productivity which stands in complete contrast to the God of a Sabbath, to the God of rest, to the God who calls and commands us to pause and remember that God is God. In fact, there are two accounts of the Ten Commandments, one in Exodus 20 and one in Deuteronomy 5, slightly different in their telling. Exodus 20, um, the, the Sabbath commandment, commandment number four, is the longest portion of the Ten Commandments, which should tell us there was a lot of importance here. It was, the, it was the crux by which God was connected to the self, which was connected to the neighbor, right? The first before those were about God. And then how God is seen, how we worship God, reflects on how we are to uh, accept ourselves. And then it pushes us towards how to treat our neighbors. Don't lie, don't covet, don't steal, things like that. So here in Exodus, we hear it's a big chunk of the work before them. But in Exodus, one difference that sticks out to me from Deuteronomy is that verse 11, this is how it goes. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and consecrated it. Imagine with me the book of Genesis. God is creating and creating. He speaks and life abounds. And he says, oh, that's good. And then on the sixth day, he makes 
Adam and Eve, and then he says, now you must rest. Adam and Eve might be confused with this, but God, we haven't done anything yet. We, we just woke up. There's, we, we just got here. Don't you want us to do something? God says, no. I waken you to rest. And so they go into rest, and they wake up on the Sabbath day to find that everything had already been done. The Sabbath reminds us that we are not a part of the work, that God does the work completely and wholly for us. That when I wake up in the morning, that because it's sundown to sundown, right? When I wake up in the morning, God had already been working through the night to prepare me for this place right now. Adam and Eve, when they woke up to the Sabbath, they were reminded their hand was not at work in their creation nor the creation around them. They just had to trust that God had it taken care of. When you and I celebrate and worship on a Sabbath, it is us saying, hey, salvation is not my business. That is God's business. And I've got to let him do his thing, and that releases me to do the work that he calls me into. It reminds us that we are enough. Turn to someone right now and say, you are enough. Tell somebody else, you are enough. Adam and Eve were reminded. They were enough. They didn't have to produce. They didn't have to uh, create. They didn't have to be successful. They didn't need a title or a, a job. Could you imagine if Adam asked God when he woke up, God, um, what are you going to pay me? God, what? You're not getting paid anything. You're living in my Eden, eating my fruits and vegetables, enjoying my landscape. All of this belongs to me. You don't have anything to do with this except to accept it. You are enough. I don't know if... You're on a mountaintop experience right now where everything is cruising, man. You, you, you've got all of your stuff in order. You are killing it, and it feels good. You, you've, you've got extra employees. You had to pick up another car because you don't, I don't know if that's where you're at. Or, or maybe you're in a valley situation where nothing seems to be panning out the way it's supposed to pan out, and somehow you feel like you, you are responsible for that. On the Sabbath, when you come into it, you are reminded that all of that is for naught. God is working on your behalf. You are enough. Salvation is God's job, not ours. So we trust that in our rest, God is continuing to do the work that is complete. Then we jump over to Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy is a little bit different. And Deuteronomy says this. God reminds them that remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So not only do we remember in creation that God has made us enough, we remember in liberation that God equips us for enough. That 
wow, at one point we were under the, 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 the stronghold of oppression. There was a group who, who manifested themselves above us and held us down in injustice. And it wasn't because of our doing, but because of God. God frees us, and God frees us that we might rest in him. And remember that our work of agency for goodness in the world is, is, is really because of God. So the goodness that I can give and offer my neighbors is something that is divine and beautiful. In Genesis, God awakens them to celebrate a world already complete. In Deuteronomy, God reminds them that God was the one who worked out their liberation. Both places, they were called to rest in God. Where is God meeting you today? Where is God meeting you today and commanding you to rest? What stress did you pull up in here with? What anxiety has been driving you crazy? What is it that is, is weighing your heart down? Like, like you want to get, you know, you, you want to be here in church, but you can't stop focusing on that text that keeps coming in. You can't think of anything else but, but that email that you've got to send out. What is it? Um, before I, I left to come to the church this morning, I got up, I got ready, and, and my son was ready before me. That is a miracle of the Lord. I came out, I said, whoa, you're ready. He says, I'm ready, Dad, let's go. I said, hold on, I'm not ready. So I finish up, I put my clothes on, I'm walking to the kitchen door, my daughter comes flying in. She's in her pajamas. Her hair is out, it looks like Simba's mane. She says, Dad. I said, yeah. Where are you going? Um, it, uh, church, where we go every week. This time, you know, I'm going to church. She says, wait, I'm coming with you. I said, honey, I've, I've got to go. She says, no, Dad, you can't leave without me. You know when your children say that, you can't, you know, you just feel horrible. They know how to guilt you. Dad, you can't leave without me. I'm just going to church. I'm not, I'm not getting in a life vest and moving away from you. You can't leave. Fine, hurry up, hurry up. She dashes to the room. And only but another 20 minutes. What are you doing in there, girl? She comes out. She's pulling her. Dad, let's go. She runs to the van. I open again the van door. She gets in the van. She's all flustered. You know, ah. I open the back door for the van. And, and then Leo's walking to the van. She sees him in the mirror. She says, Dad. I said, what? She's like, is Leo coming to church? Yeah. Of course, Leo's coming to church. We all go to the same church. She's like, no, no, no. Tell, tell him to stay. I said, no. No, we're all going to church. She says, okay, well, I'm going to come with mom. Bye. <laughs> Could we have started this conversation before you made me wait all this time for you and, like, and like go through my anxiety and, like, my stress and my guilt? I've got to wait for my daughter. And she just leaves me like that. I get here and I'm like, I'm like, I get here and I'm trying to get my son to the to the Sabbath school. And someone says, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, ah. <laughs> what is it that you've carried into this space? Is it grades? Is it dating? Dating today is just exhausting. And I'm married. <laughs> So I've got, like, I've got like a guaranteed yes when I ask her out. But then you got to put clothes on, right? 
And then you got to, like, plan something. I couldn't imagine what it's like for those of you who have to even think about dating, who have to ask someone to go out on a date with you. I just, I, you know what, if anything ever happened, God forbid, to my wife, I'm, I would never date again. It's too much work. I watch you all. I see it on posts and stuff. And I'm like, oh. What is it? Companionship? Competition? What did you bring here today? And can you hear God commanding? Rest. You are enough. You may not have a partner in your life right now, but you are enough. You may not be exactly where you want to be in your professional life. Maybe you're on, you're on your like sixth degree. You are enough. Rest. So in verse 23, sorry, in verse 24, the Pharisees said to him, look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Why? To the Pharisees, they were being unfaithful because plucking the heads of grain and eating was harvesting. It was threshing. It was it was considered work. And for you and I, we may not completely get that because we don't live in an agricultural uh, uh, society. We're not agrarians. We don't, we, don't, uh, you know, we don't exchange economy like this. But for them to do this was the, the most, most uh, just not good way of using the Sabbath. That was completely, fully, utterly work. Why? Why would you let them do this, Jesus, if you are the one they call Messiah? They broke the law, according to the Pharisees. Jesus answers this way. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Now, what's interesting about this part of the story of Jesus, for those of you who are close readers of the word, you'll know that the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 21, the retelling of this story is not the same as Mark's telling of this story. And if you haven't seen it before, when we're done, go look it up in, in, uh, sec in 1 Samuel, chapter 21, and you'll compare and contrast, and you'll realize, whoa, Whoa, Jesus literally just paraphrased everything and had a, a different uh, priest in, in this story, right? And that's, that's a sermon for another day. But, but interestingly enough, it is, it, is there, it is a good journey to take. What I do want to focus on is this idea. Um, he had companions... And they were hungry and in need of food. Now, in, in 1 Samuel, that's not mentioned at all. There's no mention of hunger and in need of food. There was no companions. It was uh, Amimelech that, that was the, the priest at the time. Um, but Jesus saw it fit. The Markan author thought it was a good idea to write in this portion and, 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 and point out that his companions were hungry and in need of food. And so because they were, they ate it, and it was lawful for them to break this sacred ritual because eating and sustenance is more important than sacred rituals. 
Yahweh nullifies the entire system of anxious production. And those who participate in it break the anxiety cycle. They are invited to awareness that life does not consist in frantic production and consumption that reduces everyone else to a threat or to competitors. Do you realize that sometimes as a church, we function out of a place that is not kingdom-like? When we, are, when we are, uh, see others as competition, when we see others as a threat to us, when we try to work the church like it's a business, now, I've got no problems working the church as a business because, praise the Lord, good business helps us keep everything in check. But our, but our church shouldn't act in a spirit of business, of competition and, and, and self-grandizement, um, and it's all about me. We've got to break that cycle. Church is not supposed to be a place where we work it and work it and work it. Church is a place where we come and we rest in God, and together he blossoms something new for us as a community. This is a place where we realize we are enough, and that we are called to be an agency of that enoughness for others. And as the work stoppage permits, Brueggemann, a waning of anxiety, so energy is redeployed to the neighborhood. The odd insistence of the God of Sinai is to counter anxious productivity with committed neighborliness. The latter practice does not produce so much, but it creates an environment of security and respect and dignity that redefines the human project. That is what church is about. Can I get an amen? amen? Oh, that we would be this place where Shabbat runs deep into our spirit, where we were able to dive into forgiveness and goodness and grace, and it overwhelms us as a community to create a place that is secure and respectful and dignified and redefines the human project. Sabbath reminds us all that we are more than our jobs. You are more than your job. Can you turn to someone and say, you are more than your job? You are more than your job or lack of a job. Amen? It reminds us that we are more than our titles. Doctor, pastor. One of the beautiful things that I, I learned about the destination Sabbath school when we were down there a couple weeks ago is that um, it was almost a requirement for them to call each other by first name. I, I don't remember the exact phrasing of it, but it was like we call each other first name here because we recognize that in this place with God for us that we are all equal. I like that. We are more than our titles. That we are more than our insecurities. What makes us feel insecure. So when I come to the Sabbath rest, I remember that the work part is done by God. The Sabbath moves us from being self-centered to other-centered. Too many of us are worrying about our salvation today. I want you to leave here today with this in mind. Because you are here and in love with Jesus, 
with all of your insecurities and your brokenness and your failures and your faults and your mistakes, you are saved. You are saved in Jesus. Oh, I hope you leave there with this security. I, I need you to leave here knowing this. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're full of mistakes. Yes, we may, we, yeah, we're full of failures. Yes, we don't have it all right. But salvation is not up to you. Praise God. It's up to Jesus. Leave here with that security. You no longer have to hold on to that. And if you're worried about it, you know, when you get to those pearly gates, just tell God, Icky told you so. The Sabbath moves us from being self-centered to other-centered. Trust God with the work. Let that go. And let us focus and turn our eyes to our neighbors, to those around us who are indeed, as the text said in Mark, hungry and in need of food. Those who are dying for more, who need us. There's a world that needs us. There's a world that needs a Sabbath. There are citizens of this world who, who are, are killing themselves trying to become influencers, who are starting business after business because they feel like they have to build an empire to make themselves valid, who are struggling every day to be more so that someone could say, wow, you are more. The world needs a church and a space that says, no, you are more, not because of what you've done, but because of what God does for you. Sabbath. And so in verse 27, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind of the Sabbath. We see a little, small little mini chiastic structure here where the Sabbath is in both ends of this poetic saying and right there in the center where the focal point should be is humankind. So we have humanity in the center and, and, and hemmed in on each side, cared for on each side, loved on on each side is the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath was not created so that we could serve it. The Sabbath was created that it may service us. There is power and goodness and grace and beauty and rest and value and worth when we spend our time Sabbathing correctly. And if you wonder, well, Pastor, tell me about the do's and the don'ts. That's what I want to get to. Tell me about what I can do and I cannot do. And to you, I say, next time. <laughs> if our question is, what can I or can I not do, is the question we ask about the Sabbath, we are already spending the Sabbath incorrectly. We are already doing the Sabbath and injustice. We have switched out this chiastic form and put the Sabbath in the center and us having to serve it. But that's not how Jesus sees it here in the book of Mark. As Sabbatarians, as Sabbath keepers, to be faithful to the biblical Sabbath means to live fully in the experience of trusting God that you in this moment whether doing that amazing or in failures, whether in great conditions or struggling, you are enough. You and I together, where God blesses and pours into us through a Sabbath, now are empowered to bless our community. And if you need a do and a don't list, I have one for you. Put it up on the, on the board as we close. This is by Abraham Heschel. 
There is a realm of time where the goal is not to have, but to be. Not to own, but to give. Not to control, but to share. Not to subdue, but to be in accord. Life goes wrong when the control of space, the acquisition of things of space, becomes our sole concern. A few years back, I've got some friends. Yeah, I do. I, I'm not lying to you. I have friends. And uh, I, I have these friends, and they're like a power couple. They're not rich, not that kind of power couple. They're poor, poor as dirt. They're a power couple because they're like super athletic. You have a, you have a couple like that in your life, a family? And like all of them are super athletic for no reason? You know those kind of people? And they turn everything into a competition, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I did some push-ups. Well, I did 50. Okay, fine, <laughs> you're, you're a champ. But they're that kind of family. They love being athletic. They love being competitive. And they care about my health. And so a few years back, they said to me, hey, uh, hey, uh, pastor, you want to you wanna, you wanna go for a jog? I said, no, I'm fine. No, they said, no, no, you probably should come for a jog with us. And I said, really? They said, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, it's good for you. And so I said, okay, well, I, you know, uh, let me try this jogging thing. They said, listen, this is what we'll do. Um, in, in, in three months, we'll do a 10K. I said, a 10K, what's K? I'm American. Give me the miles. And they said, it's a 10K. That's, it's a normal name. We'll just, we'll go down. There's a starting line. We'll run the 10K. Okay, great. And so they said, we'll train you. And so, you know, they're training me. Like, first we start walking, and then we walk a little bit faster. And then, you know, we get to, like, this jog. And, and it's feeling pretty good. I'm amped up. You know, I, I buy the gear that joggers have. You know, I've, I've got these cool stuff. I've got a headband on. And we get down the day of. It was a Sunday. We get there early so we can get our, our numbers and get to the finish, get to the starting line. And so we get down. We get the numbers. And when I got there, I just... I noticed something that I didn't know would be, there's a bunch of vendors who give free things away. And that's like my Achilles heel, right? And so like, I'm like, oh, snap, that's free. So I'm like going from vendor to vendor, talking to them, just taking their stuff. And then they started giving food for free, which was like really my thing. So like, I'm over here, I'm like eating bananas, you know, I'm just going, and, and, and the couple says to me, hey, hey, we're gonna go to the starting line. Are you gonna come? I said, hold on, I'm, yeah, I'll meet you there. I've got some things I gotta take care of here some power bars, some bananas, and uh, they said, okay, okay, yeah, 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 um, we'll see you at the starting line. So I said, okay, so I'm getting my stuff, I'm in the vendors, I'm getting my stuff, and then I hear, I hear, two minutes to start, two minutes to start, and, and I realized something, I had no idea where the starting line was. I was so busy eating, I wasn't paying attention to where any of the instructions were, so I'm like running around the crowd, I get to the crowd, and, and I'm standing there. I hadn't heard one instruction from anyone. I see the couple there. They're, you know, probably about, I don't know, 30 feet ahead. And I'm yelling at them, and they kind of look at me. And then the gun goes, and then we take off. And they disappear into the crowd. And so, like, now I'm, like, trying to pace myself because I want to catch them. So I'm, like, running, I'm running. And I realize that all the training I did wasn't enough because I'm not very good at running. Like, at one point, there was, like, this little girl. She had to be, like, five running next to me. You know, just skipping along, and I was so angry, and I wanted to yell at her, but I was too tired. I just couldn't breathe. It's like, ah, why, why? And people are going, and, and it's a windy course, and they've got cones so you don't make the wrong turn. And at one point, I'm running along, and I have no idea where I'm at. 
And I'm just running. I'm running. And, and all of a sudden, there's no one around me. It's just me running. And I said, ha, I think maybe I took a wrong turn. But my spirit said, just keep running. I said, all right, just keep running. I keep running, and all of a sudden, I see some cones, and I jump into the cones, and I'm like running, and, and then I see people again, and they're cheering me on, yeah, good job, good job, and I'm running along, I'm running along, and I don't see anyone, I don't see my friends, you know, and, and um, I'm coming around the turn, as I'm coming around the turn, it is clear to me that no one has finished the race yet, that I am the first person to cross the finish line. So at this point, I'm like, yes, I am the man. And I'm, I'm, ah! I'm running down the middle. I'm giving people the side high fives that I don't know. And they're like, no, sir, we don't, what are you doing? I'm here first. I run through the finish line. I get there, I'm breathing heavy. And I thought, man, I'm pretty darn amazing. I go to the timetable, because I need to tell, I need them to print out my time so that when my couple's friends come across, I can be like, look, yeah, that's me. I get there and I pull up to the table and they said, hi, and I said, yeah, icky timey. Look it up, first name to cross the, the finish line. And they looked and they said, oh, you're not on here. What? Look again, there can't be any others. There's only one icky in the world. They look it up again. They, look, they said, no, sir, you're not on here. I said, can you, can you search the whole database? Where, where am I? And they looked at the lady and said, oh, here you are. I said, yeah? He said, yeah, it says you're disqualified. What? Wait, what? He said, yeah, you got disqualified. It said here that you crossed a bunch of cones. <laughs> Were you the one running around out there? We saw you. I was like, oh, what? He said, yeah, sir. You, I'm sorry. You don't get a time track. You didn't finish the race. It doesn't matter if you cross the finish line if you haven't been running the right race. The Sabbath matters when we Sabbath correctly. We can't get to heaven and say, God, I kept your Sabbath the whole time. And God said, yeah, but you didn't run the wrong race. You've been all about yourself. You've been trying to make it here into heaven because of your doing. This isn't about you, icky timing. You think you're something special. You're not. You've been running the wrong race. You leave here today. I pray that as a community, you and I will Sabbath correctly. That we'll love deeply that will rest assured in God's work, not ours, and then that we begin to bring that goodness into the world of individuals and families in our community that need it. Because being well, we can only be as well as the most vulnerable of us. Happy Sabbath. Be well.